This is the Leading Second Podcast, where we're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders our pastors would kill to have on the team. Well, welcome back to season two of the Leading Second Podcast. My name is Brandon Stewart, and I am so excited you're here today. If you lead, but you're not in charge, then Leading Second is for you. So welcome home, and i uh, actually recording this uh, today on the road uh, here in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, this last weekend, we had a Leading Second rally uh, on Sunday night here at Velocity Church in Lawrence, Kansas, and uh, it was an incredible night. Uh, ministry leaders, teams gathered uh, from multiple churches, and uh, we had a great night just um, going into the Word and learning about um, being a leader in the second chair and how we can serve our pastors better. So uh, it's been a great weekend of ministry and on the road, but we're so excited about today's episode. Today's episode is going to be uh, very unique for us. It's going to be very real, very raw. And um, I really believe that for someone listening today, today's episode could be everything for you. So, uh, so excited for today. Before we get into our episode today, we had another great I Am Leading Second story come in from a member of the Leading Second tribe, someone who listens to the podcast. And um, we wanted you to hear this today. So let's check out what God is doing in the life of another Leading Second leader. My name is Marsha Brown, and I lead from the second chair at Crossroads Church in Shepherdstown, West Virginia, under the leadership of my pastors, Derek and Jessica Amsler. It's a privilege and an honor to help carry the weight of a vision that's bigger than myself. I get to have a front row seat to witness a vision and a dream that God gave to my pastors come to life and change a region. My husband and I are only seven years into our faith journey, but we quickly jumped on the fast track to full-time ministry, knowing that the life change we experienced Experience was worth giving our whole lives to. It's become a priority of our families to help build the church. I've experienced firsthand how my pastors speak life into people and lead them into lasting relationships with Jesus. And now I have been entrusted and empowered to do the same. Leading from the second chair has taught me to think like my pastors, see like my pastors, and carry their heart into every conversation. I am with them, heart and soul. I'm Marsha, and I am leading second. If you have a question you'd like to hear us answer on the podcast, or if you'd like to share your I Am Leading Second story, why don't you reach out to us uh, on leadingsecond.com or through Instagram, uh, share your story or ask your question. We would love to feature you on an upcoming episode of the podcast. Well, today we have a very special conversation to share with you on the podcast. Uh, This summer, Lindsay and I had the opportunity to meet and spend time uh, with a new friend, Kayla Stecklin. Kayla is a local church builder and speaker. Um, You may be familiar with Kayla's story. A little over a year ago, Kayla's husband, Andrew, passed away. And when he did, his story really echoed throughout the ministry world. I remember Lindsay and I seeing it on Instagram that day and and praying for this family. And God is raising uh, Kayla up as a new strong voice and advocate for mental health issues And I'm so honored that she sat down to share with us uh, for the podcast. As you can tell, today we're going to have a conversation that is very upfront, very real, and very personal. Um, We are approaching this subject with great prayer, great empathy, 
great compassion. If you or a leader in your life is not well or needs help, I pray that today's episode gives us all courage to speak up and reach out for help. Ministry has challenges and ministry has a very real uh, challenging side to it. And I pray that today will help us to navigate some of those uh, moments. Today, we're going to have a really upfront conversation also on burnout in ministry, one of the most common questions we hear at Leading Second. So here it is today without any further ado, my conversation with Kayla Stecklin. Well, hey, Kayla, thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks so much for having me, Brandon. Absolutely. And hey, it's so great to talk with you again. I loved uh, getting to meet you this summer um, when we collided in Israel together at the same time. (laughs) So fun. Yellow bus. Yellow bus forever. Oh my gosh. Anyone who's there, if you know, you (laughs) know. Um, Today, we're going to have a real candid conversation. And and this is going to be a bit of a different episode for us. I guess. And, um, I'm just going to let you go in a minute and tell your story, but I just want to let you know how grateful we are for you and grateful for what God is doing through you and in you, even through a season, um, that maybe you didn't ask for. So I guess maybe just introduce yourself to everybody and tell everybody your story. Yeah. So about a little over a year ago, my life was drastically changed. Um, My husband, Andrew, and I met in college at Vanguard University in Southern California, this little tiny Christian school, and we fell in love really fast. We're kissing in the rain after a Coldplay concert by our third date, (laughs) and a year later, he asked me to marry him, and a year after that, we got married, and we started popping out babies right away and doing ministry, and we have these three little boys, and in 2015, my husband became the lead pastor of our church. He had grown up in the church. He was three years old when his parents started the church. Wow. So he had grown up in it, had a huge heart and passion for the local church, for ministry, was an incredibly gifted communicator. And he just stepped up to the plate as we were adding kids to our family. His dad, who was a lead pastor of our church at the time, um, was diagnosed with leukemia and was battling leukemia. So it was a four-year battle with leukemia. And a few months before he passed away, Andrew was handed the official baton of leadership in 2015 wow. and became the lead pastor. And sadly, a few months later, he did pass away. His dad passed away. And it was a hard time for our church and a really hard time for our family. And Andrew and my husband just led so strong through all of that. And he hardly took any time off work. And he came right back just two weeks off and came right back and gave this incredible series on heaven. And he wanted to lead the church through their pain and lead himself, you know, through his preaching to himself, lead himself through his pain as well. And so he was running hard, running fast. We have this house full of kids. And in 2017, after we had a stalker issue in our family, Andrew started experiencing panic attacks. And they kind of came out of nowhere and very debilitating. If you've ever had a panic attack or witnessed a panic attack, you know, like the person that's experiencing it literally feels like they're going to die. Right. And, and it would come on like a really intense chest pain and he'd be pacing back and forth in the bedroom and curled up in a ball on the floor and just completely overcome with fear and anxiety and literal pain. And they were happening two to three times a week. And at first we thought it was his thyroid. He had struggled with hyperthyroid issues in the past. We thought maybe this was just a flare up. And we did all this testing for the thyroid, went to doctor's appointments, trying to get to the bottom of it. And 
his panic attacks, instead of getting better, were continuing to get worse. And the test results came back and it wasn't his thyroid. And, and he ended up in the hospital. And we all kind of decided like enough is enough. Like it's not his thyroid. Like what else is going on? Like something is causing these panic attacks. Like what is going on in his body? Like we've got to get this under control. So in April of 2018, we put him on a sabbatical. It wasn't a planned sabbatical, but it was a time off that we thought that he just needed. We thought he was burnt out. He was tired, been running fast, running hard, leading strong through so much, you know, through the leukemia, four-year leukemia journey, and then through the loss of his dad, and then through adding these little boys to our home and just ministry transitions and staff transitions like he had led strong for a long time and had led through so much. So we just thought he was tired. So in April of 2018, we put him on a sabbatical and a few weeks later he was diagnosed with depression. And I'll never forget sitting in the psychiatrist's office with him. The psychiatrist said those words, your husband has depression. And I was shocked, you know, like I was so shocked because here I have this strong, resilient, invincible man that had led us through so much. Like I was so shocked. And Andrew was actually relieved to have a diagnosis. Like he was so relieved to finally know what was going on inside of his body. So from April to August, he wrestled with depression and anxiety. And most of the time he was back in our bedroom resting and We were doing everything we knew to do to get him better. He was seeing the psychiatrist every other week. We were seeing the therapist together for two hours every week. He went on solo trips by himself to go spend time with God and catch God's vision for his life. He went on trips to be with the mentors. We went on a two-week road trip, just the two of us. Like We were doing everything we knew to get him better. Wow. And the doctors actually thought he was getting better. So towards the end of July, we all decided that he would go back to work starting August 1st. And so he returned to work and hit the ground running and he knew he wasn't at a hundred percent. He said he was at 65%, but the doctors were confident. He was confident that he would get back to a hundred percent. So he was easing back into ministry. So he hit the ground running and gave two powerful messages on mental illness. He called the series hot mess and he was using his own story, his own struggle with depression and anxiety as the example and gave out the suicide hotline number, like gave out facts from the NAMI website. Like he, you know, knew his information and was trying to help people with his pain. He was trying to use his pain for a purpose and he was helping people. I mean, the response was huge. People were so grateful that, He was willing to talk about something that a lot of churches shy away from and are afraid to talk about. And so it was very brave of him to do that. And unfortunately, headed into the third week, he just had a really awful day in the office. And the next morning, he attempted suicide. And we were all blindsided. You know, we thought he was getting better. We thought he was back to work. He had just given these two messages. He knew the suicide hotline number, like this was not supposed to happen to him. And it did. And he ended up in the hospital and he was on life support and the doctors are running a bunch of tests, trying to see if there's anything they can do to save him. And I'll never forget like laying on that little hospital bed with him and we're playing the worship songs that he was listening to all summer and we're begging God for a miracle and we're saying not again, God, like we just lost his dad. Our church just lost their pastor, like not a second time, like no way, not again. And unfortunately we didn't get the miracle we were hoping for. And on August 25th, 2018, Andrew went to be with Jesus. So my life is forever changed by suicide and the lives of my three little boys 
and our church and our family is forever touched and changed by suicide. You know, I'll never forget. I mean, I, that might sound funny um, after seeing an Instagram post, but honestly, I, I remember when the day that you posted that and obviously many, many people responded, um, you know, and um, I'll never forget Lindsay and I, we prayed for you and we didn't know you and, and, um, but we prayed for you that day and um, God is so faithful, even in grief. And um, I, it's been really, um, it's been really encouraging. I don't know if that's the right word to um, watch your journey this last year. Um, you've chosen to grieve very publicly. Um, you know, you've, you've posted many times, um, I mean, maybe weekly, daily sometimes about um, the process you were walking through. And um, I found that really interesting. Why did you choose to grieve publicly um, like you did? Because I actually feel like it's been incredibly healthy and helpful um, but not what I would have expected. Yeah, that all just really happened organically. I wouldn't say it was something that I chose to do. Sure. I would say it's something that's just happened. It's just been like this organic thing that's happened. And it all really started with this letter that I wrote him in that first week that after he passed away, I just read him this letter and posted it. We have a blog called God's Got This, a website, godsgotthis.com. And we had, we had started that when his dad was diagnosed with leukemia in 2011. And so it's been this, this blog that we've had going through leukemia and now through suicide and it's been a way to communicate with our church and now communicate with the world. And so I took to the blog and wrote him this letter and it was the letter that kind of just went viral. And I think that, um, that letter was different because I wasn't blaming him for the suicide. I was saying, I'm so sorry this happened to you. I was saying, I'm so sorry for your pain. And I think that sometimes, um, I wasn't shying away from the suicide, you know, I was claiming that that's what happened. And I think sometimes when suicide happens, there's a lot of shame for the family and the family members, and they don't want to talk about it and they don't want to say the word and that's everyone grieves differently and that's, you know, fine. Um, but for me, it's been a healing process. And I think that that the response from the one letter made me want to write another letter and another letter. And I've just <laughs> been, the blog has been like this living, breathing journal. And so has my social media. And I've just seen the way because of the messages that I get from people, the direct messages and emails and comments, like I've seen God's hand all over it and the way that God's used my pain and our story to touch and heal the lives of others and to encourage other people to share their stories too. So that's why I keep sharing. I just see the power in being vulnerable and the power in sharing our stories. Like we are all beautiful vessels writing unrepeatable stories and our stories have power and our stories matter so much and our stories can save other people's lives. Well, and I wanted to say a big thank you to you for what you've shared because I mean, number one, I think you've helped Lindsay and I reframe some of the way we've looked at, at some things. I mean, I think you really, you really gave us language around suicide that, and, and not that we've walked through anything similar, but you, you, but we, we are in proximity, I think with leaders that, that are, are walking through different scenarios. So you've really helped us to, I think, get a, get a better perspective and to get some new language. But I think the other reason we wanted to talk about this today on this podcast, the leading second podcast is as a leader, you are bound to work with someone who is experiencing some level of 
anxiety, depression, possibly other mental health issues, um, or uh, maybe someone listening today is even experiencing something like this themselves. And so I think it's an important conversation in ministry that we just have to raise. And I'm, I'm appreciative that you have done so publicly and invited us into your story because I think you're helping a lot of us get get the language right and get the handles uh, on on a very tough to grasp scenario. So thank you for helping us not blame and thank you for helping us get the perspective right. It's really been so encouraging, even just to Lindsay and I. Let me ask you this. Um, mental health issues are often more prevalent than we realize. I think sometimes we stigmatize it as, as one thing or the other. Um, I think there's easy, easy things to think about mental illness or anxiety. Yet I know a lot of leaders are walking through some very, um, very real scenarios. Um, I guess, can you comment on that for a minute on just, God's kind of thrust you into this space now. Um, and, and as you've walked with leaders and, and been exposed to this, have you seen it throughout the landscape of the church? Yeah, definitely. And I think that depression and anxiety and panic attacks are huge in ministry. I think there are a lot of pastors, if not a majority of especially lead pastors that would probably raise their hand and say, I've struggled with depression and panic attacks and anxiety at some point in my leadership journey. And I think it's incredibly common. And I think that some pastors are willing to talk about it, but not everybody and so I think if you are struggling and you haven't told anybody, like, please do, please, please find the right people to tell, please find the right safe people to tell. And, and if you've tried to tell somebody and you haven't had the right response, like seek out somebody else to tell, you know, maybe, maybe you don't have that person in your life that you can tell us. So maybe it's the therapist. Maybe it's making an appointment with the therapist. Psychology today is a great place to find a therapist. Psychologytoday.com. You can put in your zip code and your insurance and you can find a therapist nearby. And I just think it's so important for you not to struggle silently in the dark. And that if you struggle silently in the dark, the only thing that's going to happen is that it's going to grow. And so I think being willing to be vulnerable and being willing to say that you're struggling with the right people in the right space and the right safe space, um, is the only way that you're going to find healing and freedom. Well, and I think one of the best handles that you gave Lindsay and I just, just through your posting and your sharing, you know, during this last season is that, um, it's not something to be, um, ashamed of to the point of hiding that it's actually, I just love your perspective, how you shared it almost as it's, 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 it's a sickness, you know, it, it's just like having cancer mm -hmm. or, or, or being sick in some other way. It's, it's something that, that, um, there are tools for and help, but it requires us to raise our hand and not be so embarrassed or ashamed that we don't do something about it. Our brains are so fragile and our brains sometimes get sick. They just do. They get sick and they get tired and and we don't know a lot about the brain. You know, I'm, I'll never forget Andrew's psychiatrist saying we know a drop in the ocean of the brain. Like our brains are so fragile and so complicated and, and sometimes they need attention. And so if you're struggling, like it is, it could be like a real physical illness where you need to see a real doctor and, and maybe get real medication to treat. So don't be afraid to get help. You know, you might, you might not get better unless you see a doctor sometimes, like sometimes that's necessary. And I think in your, in your own grief this last year, um, you chose to look at Drew's 
you know, life and passing through that lens. Mm -hmm. Did that help you with your grief? I guess to, to, to view it that way. Yeah. You know, I see the suicide as something that happened to him. I don't, I don't see it as a choice. That's just a personal thing for me. Like I see it as this something that happened to him and that the suicide was the result of an underlying physical illness. It was the result of depression and anxiety and exhaustion. And I don't, I don't see it as something that he chose. And we've learned, you know, through this grief process and through just discovering more about suicide, that 90% of suicides are impulsive. It's just a split second moment of intense pain that we'll never understand unless we've been there. And so I've chosen just to have grace and empathy for him and, and remind myself, I have no idea what it must've been like for him in that moment. And I have no idea the amount of pain he must've been in, in that moment. And that's why we say died by suicide. We don't say committed suicide. We don't say chose to take his own life. We say he died by suicide. And that's the right term to use when describing death by suicide, because it puts it in his right place. It's, it's the result of an underlying physical illness. It's not the results of a decision. And I think if Andrew was here, he would say himself that he wished he would have stayed. Absolutely. And um, I thought that was so beautiful and so helpful. So in ministry, so many leaders run at a fast pace. And ministry definitely has a pace to it. How can we take care of our soul better? How can we, um, I mean, I, I think sometimes there's no getting around the pace and pressures of ministry. And, and it's not even just nights of the week away from family. Sometimes it's, it's, it's walking through tragedy, both mm -hmm. yourself personally and carrying it for others, you know, mm -hmm. when you're walking alongside of them. Um, as leaders, how can we better take care of ourselves personally and lead ourselves well? even mm -hmm. while we're walking through some of these very difficult situations with ourselves or with others? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of grace. I think giving yourself a lot of grace and a lot of space. And by space, I mean like taking time off, like taking the Sabbath day, taking the personal retreat day. And a Sabbath day is a day where you are away from your phone, you're away from your computer, you're doing something that you love. Like maybe it's surfing or golfing or biking or running or spending time with your family. And a personal retreat day is a day out of the office where you're sitting with God. So you're not like doing something that you love. Instead, you're sitting with God and you're like, okay, God, what is the vision that you have for my life? And what? What, what do you want to pour into me and where do you want me to go? And it's like catching God's vision and gleaning God's wisdom for your life. And so I think giving ourselves a lot of grace and giving ourselves a lot of space to have that time. And then I also think community is huge. I think that oftentimes leaders are lonely and loneliness isn't just a problem for leaders. Like loneliness is a worldwide epidemic. 49% of the U.S. consider themselves lonely. Loneliness is worse for us than obesity. Like loneliness is, is such a huge problem in the U.S. And, and isolation. And so oftentimes I think that as leaders, we have a hard time um, tearing down those walls that we have built up because we want people to think that we're a certain way and want to have right. this facade that like, I'm, I got it all together, you know, like I have to be perfect. And, 
So I think having that community and having those circles of friends where you can take off your pastor hat, where you can take down that wall and where you can have the freedom to truly be yourself and where you can have the freedom to open up about your struggles and open up about the hard things and open up about the staff issue and open up about the marriage issue and just be real. Like we cannot do life alone. Like your family is amazing, but your family is not your community. Like you need people outside your home that you can be in relationship with and be in community with. And I think that the key, one of the keys to protecting our mental health, especially in ministry is having really, really strong community and then also practicing Sabbath well. And I think also the willingness to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I, I think you just said a really, I think, important word there in, in vulnerability. You know, I think you, you've, um, you've been vulnerable this year with your own story. Um, but I know for me, that's been a learned journey on, I, I'm an Enneagram four. So I come from the end of the spectrum that, that, um, doesn't always like to let people into that space. Um, but yet it's so important, I guess. Um, would you have anything else you'd want to say on vulnerability and how leaders can embrace vulnerability and get past that thinking? Like if they only knew my flaws, mm-hmm. you know, they wouldn't respect me or you know, if they only knew my flaws, they wouldn't. I actually think it's the opposite. I, th- I think sometimes the, the more real and transparent we are in a healthy way, of course, the more real and transparent we are. Um, I think, you know, the, the more we're able to help people in ministry. Mm-hmm. And I saw that, you know, with Andrew, I saw the power of vulnerability. Like he showed me that when he, even when he ended up in the hospital and took a sabbatical, like our boards did in front of the church and said, your pastor's having panic attacks and suffering from anxiety. Like we were so honest and open with the church. And when he came back and was talking about his struggle with depression and, and panic attacks. And I, I think it's so vulnerability is so powerful. And what vulnerability does is it flings open the door for people to finally raise their hand and walk through the door and walk into the light and say, me too. And say, I'm struggling too. Like when we share our own struggles, it gives other people freedom to raise their hand and say, me too. I'm struggling too. I need help too. Or, or this has been an issue for me too. And I think when we go first, other people are willing to go second. No doubt that, that, God is even using your story, um, you know, even now to help people raise their hand that maybe, maybe didn't, you know, previously. Uh, so let's even take this one step further. Let's talk about burnout in ministry for mm-hmm. a minute. Um, I know probably like you, when one of the main questions Lindsay and I get is some version of how can we do it all? You know, how can we balance family and ministry? How can I do everything God wants me to do? But I believe if we answer that question wrong, um, or incorrectly or in, in, you know, some, a way that's too weighty for us. Um, mm-hmm. it can lead to burnout or worse. Um, what would you say to the leader who feels like they're experiencing burnout right now? I would say to go pick up the book leading on empty by Wayne Cornero and Best read book. every word. <laughs> And that that book is like, will speak life into what you're doing. And I would say like, remember that you're in charge of your own mental health and you're in charge of your own spiritual health and your own physical health. And that if you're not taking care of yourself, you're going to burn out. And if you're not creating margin to 
to sleep and to exercise and to eat healthy and to spend time in community. Like if you, if those things are slacking off in your life, like you're probably going to burn out. So it's, it's taking time and evaluating, okay, where am I at? And what, what lights are going off on the dashboard? And like, what do I need to pivot or change or shift to create more space for rest or more space for sleep or more space for friends? I think we can so often, especially in ministry, get all consumed by ministry. And we're up late working on messages and we're texting people on the weekends and trying to fill spots because leaders canceled and trying to work on our sermon because it's not done. Like there's so ministry can be a hundred hour a week job if we let it. Totally. And so I think it's practicing, um, just having boundaries, having healthy boundaries for ourselves and, and creating that space for us to be able, like I said earlier, to take off that pastor hat and just be mom or just be dad or just be wife or just be friend and to truly, um, just take ownership of our lives and take ownership of our health. And I think that when we do that before burnout, I think it can prevent burnout. You know, you even said something a minute ago before we pushed record, um, we were having a conversation here about, um, speaking up, using your voice and not blaming the environment around you. And I wanted to lean into this for a second, because I think sometimes we think, um, you know, uh, my pastor is just keeping us too busy or, or we blame something about the culture the, or the environment, or when at the end of the day, sometimes we have to raise our hand and say, I'm not doing good. I mean, maybe just elaborate on that for a minute, because I thought that was such a powerful point when you said it a minute ago, before we pushed record, that, that um, sometimes we, we can blame too often rather than take responsibility. Yeah. And I, you know, being at the top of an organization and being a lead pastor's wife, like I heard the staff complaints, I heard, you know, different things in the staff culture. And I saw the way that people are so quick to point the finger to the person at the top. And I think, um, that although some of that may be true, like it might be true that, you know, your pastor didn't make the wisest decision or your pastor is putting too much pressure on you or ministry is putting too much pressure on you, or they, they put too much on your plate. That might be true, but I also would say that if that's happening, like it's your responsibility to raise your hand and say, Hey, I, there's too much on my plate. Hey, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Hey, I need to take a day off. Hey, I'm, I've been having panic attacks and I feel like my mental health is suffering and I feel like I have too much going on and I feel like I don't have time for my family. Like that's our responsibility to raise our hand and speak up for ourselves. And I, it's so easy to blame other people. And I think that, um, when that happens, it's actually toxic for the church. It's actually toxic for the staff. And that's when those sideways conversations start happening. And that's when, unity, um, starts to dissolve. And I think it's so important to keep the unity of the church and to honor the leadership of the church. And if you're struggling with something or you feel like you're overwhelmed, like speak up, make the appointment with your direct report, make the appointment with your lead pastor. Like, I'm sure they would love to talk to you about it. And if they're not listening and they're not respecting like your boundaries and what you need, like it's okay to take a break and it's okay to walk away. Like your life and your family is way more important than your ministry. Well, I think sometimes we think that, man, if, if they, if they see that I'm weak at all, you know, that our, our job's going to be on the line or something. When I actually feel like when boundaries are set in a healthy way, you actually, um, I, I think people actually respect that. I think they respect people that are willing to set proper, healthy, 
boundaries. And I don't, if done in, in a healthy way with the right spirit, um, I, I don't know a lead pastor out there that wouldn't welcome that conversation. Right. They would much rather have that conversation than the grumbling in the office that they don't Absolutely. know about. Yeah. Absolutely. So this last year has obviously been a year that you didn't, um, didn't plan, didn't foresee, but, but this is now the, the, the story that you're walking out. What has been um, maybe one of the best habits or rhythms you've put in place in your own life to stay healthy over the last year? Yeah, I am rebuilding my life. And so I'm learning to do that. And I feel like this last year has just been a complete blur and there hasn't been a lot of healthy rhythms and I've been traveling all over the place and just trying to survive this last year. And now that it's been a year and I've uh, finished some projects I've been working on, I feel like I finally have the space to start that. And and, um, for me, it's like giving myself, myself space to rest. And a couple of weeks ago I took off and did like five days by myself in Monterey, California, and just spent time at the beach and spent time reading books and spent time at a spa day and watching the sunset and going for walks. And I think I'm learning how important that rest time is, especially now as a single mom of three little boys, like giving myself the margin and space to rest. And then also exercise. I'm finally starting to get back in a better rhythm of exercise. I signed up to run a half marathon today and I'm excited to rebuild that strength um, that was lost this last year too. And I haven't had the energy to exercise this last year. So I'm excited to finally be able to start doing that little by little again. And it's a lot of reclaiming what was lost for me in this season now, a year later, where I feel like I'm finally starting to come back into the light a little bit. And grief is so dark and heavy and you're in this darkness for a long time. And I feel like I'm finally starting to step into the light and like reclaim things that were lost this last year. So I have one more question for you about grief. I I feel like when it comes to grief, um, the, the thing that everybody always wants is they want out of it quickly. You know, when will I stop hurting and when, when will this be over? And, um, yet I don't know that that's the right perspective. You know, I, I guess, what would you, what would you say to the person that's grieving out there today? Cause grief is a, is a, a necessary process to walk through. I would say run to your grief. I would say sit in your grief. I would say if you're, if you, if you see a wave coming or you feel a wave coming, like let it come and dive headfirst into it and don't try to avoid it and don't try to go around it or under it or over it. Like you have to go through it and it's going to be dark for a while and it's going to be painful for a while. And the depth of our grief is the depth of our love. Like we grieve because we love, like I'm grieving Andrew because I'm still like madly in love with him. And the grief is still so deep and still so raw and still so fresh. And, and there's no time limit on grief. Like, I don't know how long my grief is going to feel like that. And, and you can't compare grief either. Each person's grief journey is so unique to them. So I think don't compare your grief. I think dive head first into the grief and don't be afraid to sit in it and just let, let your whole, it's a whole body experience and let your let yourself feel it. And I would say sign up for therapy. (laughs) I've been in therapy for the last year and it's been like the most helpful part of all of it. Yeah. And God is so faithful and, Mm -hmm. and God is so good. And, um, 
you know, these are sometimes the moments where he shows up, you know, in some of the most meaningful ways in our lives. In fact, I'll never uh, forget being in Israel um, in our time there this summer, and you got to baptize your boys on Father's Day in the Jordan River. I mean, how good is God? God's so good. That was so Tell us about that moment, because that, that, that was a really, really special day. What are the chances of that? Like, that is not coincidence that we would be in Israel and we would be at the Jordan River doing baptisms on Father's Day. Like, so incredibly special. And my boys are going to remember that for the rest of their lives. And I feel like that was a moment where God reclaimed and restored what was lost. Like, their dad was not there on Father's Day, but they got to be baptized to the Father on Father's Day in where Jesus was baptized. Like, so incredibly special and amazing and heartbreaking all at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Hey, we, um, we love you a lot and, um, I'm, I'm so thankful for how God is using you and, um, we are counting ourselves among some of your number one fans and, um, we pray for you often and pray for your boys often. You have, you have beautiful, beautiful boys. And, um, I just know that, even unexpected, uh, God's going to do something really, really, um, special and really strong out of this season. Um, I have one more question for you. I ask this of everybody that we talk to. So I would just love to hear your thoughts as we wrap this up. Um, why do you love the local church? This is a, this is a church leaders podcast. So, so, um, in the light of everything you've walked through in your life and through your story, why do you love church? I still believe that the local church is the hope of the world. I still believe that when the local church is done right and when the church leadership is healthy, that it can be one of the most beautiful, amazing movements to be a part of. And I know what it feels like to be a part of that movement. And it's been a hard season for me because right now I'm not, I'm not a part of a local church and I'm bouncing around from church to church to church. So I I miss that. I miss being a part of this thing that's bigger than myself. And, and I just love, I just truly believe and love the local church. I really do. And I hope that we can land somewhere soon. Absolutely. I know you will. And, um, God's writing a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing it with us. We're, we're grateful today. Thanks so much for having me, Brandon. It's been an honor. Truly. I love you guys. And so special to be in this conversation with you really. Well, I have to say, I'm so glad that you joined us today for this episode. I know it was a bit different, but I pray it has helped. Uh, if you are listening today or, you know, someone, uh, in your life that is struggling in some way in ministry with, with burnout, uh, potentially with anxiety, depression, mental health issues, whatever it would be, uh, would you please reach out for help uh, to us or f- to someone else? Um, it would be our honor to pray with you, to refer you, and um, really believe that ministry is the best life and um, that God can give us new strength and new wisdom as we move forward, navigating the very real challenges of ministry. So I pray today helped. Uh, If this podcast has resonated with you, why don't you consider being a podcast ambassador with us? That just simply means hitting the subscribe button and sharing this with someone who hasn't yet uh, heard about the podcast. Uh, Maybe leave us a rating or a comment. We would love to hear from you. Also, we'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. So Leading Second, we love you. Such an honor we get to do this every week together. Until next time, let's run strong for the kingdom and lead in an uncommon way together.
For more information, check out leadingsecond.com or join us on the Leading Second Forum on Facebook.